because I'm not drinking whiskey, apparently. We're going to get to <laughs> that in a second. I need some whiskey to wash that down. Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Lean Whiskey, or today I should call it Lean Gin because we have a new guest host joining me today. She is Crystal Totterman. How's it going, Crystal? It is great down in uh, sunny Florida here. Yeah, and we're, we're, we're both sitting in different cities in Florida today. You want to tell the, tell the listeners you're, you're in South Florida and, and tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, we're in um, Stewart, Florida, the Treasure Coast, and um, I am a pharmacist by trade, but met Mark through lean practice, which I just kind of fell into, and we have just kept uh, in connection for probably the past, what, four or five years? Four or five years. So we had a chance to work together. We have crossed paths at the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit, like most recently this past June. Yeah. So we run in these lean healthcare circles, right? Yes. Very cool lean healthcare circles. <laughs> it can be a bad crowd sometimes. <laughs> um, so um, how I'd be curious uh, how, so, you know, how did you transition, if you want to tell everyone a little bit? So how did you stumble into this lean work and why, why have you stuck with it? Yeah, so when I graduated pharmacy school, I went to work for a health system as a pharmacist and pretty quickly became, I guess, bored, for lack of a better word, with just accessing pharmacy and really wanted to explore what, what the rest of the health system was and, and how do you really look at it and connect with the health system on a bigger scale to take care of patients um, and really keep them healthy and um, happy at home. So I was in a program, um, a leadership development program at our organization, and I got introduced to our lean team, where we got asked to uh, go through a simulation about removing waste from healthcare and then working on an A3, which I didn't really know was an A3 at the time. And I just kind of thought in the back of my head, like, oh, that's kind of cool. That'd be fun to do. <laughs> then, you know, opportunities and doors opened and I got a chance to be on the team and I have not left since. Yeah. So you've been practicing lean, if you will, for a couple of years now. Yeah, probably almost seven, actually, which is a bit surprising. I can't believe I'm that old, so. <laughs> <laughs> which is not that old. but Yeah, I'm older, I think, for the purposes of letting the listeners know. <laughs> right. A little bit of context helps. <laughs> um, so that makes me feel old. When you, whenever you hear someone younger than you say, I feel old, how's that supposed <laughs> to make me feel? But um, I think we're going to have a fun episode today because <clears throat> for the listeners, well, that went down. Let me mute that. It's because I'm not drinking whiskey, apparently. We're going to get <laughs> to that in a second. I need some whiskey to wash that down. But um, Crystal and I have, have um, you know, I had a chance to talk about lean and careers and trying to fix our healthcare system. We've, we've had those conversations over a drink or two in person, which, you know, thinking of when, when you know, Jamie and I and other guest hosts 
that seems to be the main criteria for doing this podcast together. So, so welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. So you have a phrase before we talk about <clears throat> what I'm apparently struggling to, uh, to choke down. Um, you have a phrase that, that I'll give you credit for, and I'll let you share that with the audience of, of what we've done and what we're doing here today. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do with some of my colleagues across the country when I do get to run into them uh, periodically throughout the year in, in different instances and conferences is have what I like to call some chummy lean chat, which basically means over some tasty libations, we talk about life you know, uh, ridiculousness and every once in a while life and ridiculousness in the context of lean. So yeah. we, um, we, we, I like to do that. It, it's pretty fun. And, and it is, it has not, um, disappointed me yet. Well, and, and that chat and, the, and they, they've been fun. And I, I think chumminess, collegiality, fun. I think that's, that's all that's important because like you, like you said, we run across ridiculousness in the healthcare system sometimes. And we're a lot of times it feels like we're trying to we're trying to save the world. And I don't know, that's too much pressure. And it's good to sit back and commiserate or compare notes or try to give each other pep talks that that that's all part of chummy lean chat, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That all that all falls under that umbrella. Absolutely. And I don't know if you would have uh, filed legal action if I had called this podcast Chummy Lean Chat. That, that could... No, as long as you gave me some props. You yeah, know? I think we, yes. I'd be, I'd be totally cool with that. We would have already done that. So if we ever want to change, you know, our, our subtitle and tagline for the podcast, corny and punny as it is, is Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. The subtitle could also be Chummy Lean Chat. Right. Exactly. Chummy lean chat over a drink. So speaking of such, you called it what? Libations? That's not a pharmacy yeah. term, that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, libations. Yeah. So why don't you, so I've already let the cat out of the bag that we're drinking gin. We are drinking gin. Why? So tell, tell, tell maybe tell the listeners why. Why you propose gin? I'm not. I'm not going to frame it in terms of tell us why you hate whiskey. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's let's keep it positive. Um, so why gin? I don't know. I just really enjoy gin, and I feel like it's one of those drinks that people often, you know, give a, a little bit of a wry eye to, like, oh, gin. I've had some terrible experiences with gin, whereas I find gin um, quite enjoyable. And I remember way back in the day, my first gin and tonic. I didn't even know what it, I, I didn't even know how to order a drink and my sis now sister-in-law was drinking a gin and tonic and I took a sip of it and I said oh my god that tastes like candy give me some more <laughs> so um so yeah we are drinking gin and tonics and to give you a little bit of history about um gin and tonics actually gin originated in Holland by a physician who used to use it um for uh other ailments and circulation in soldiers in the 16th century. But it, the gin that we know today actually was um, created in London. And the gin and tonic actually originated in India. And the reason for that is around in the mid 19th century, when the Brits started moving over to India, they had to take quinine as an anti-malarial um, drug. And quinine is quite bitter. 
So um, in order to smooth the bitterness, they added gin to it. So for me, I, I think this is a great example of problem solving turned innovation. You, you have <laughs> you know, able to take the anti-malarial. So we, we made it a little bit better and all of a sudden it turned into this great innovation where now there's worldwide gin and tonic co- uh, competitions and mm-hmm. um, a libation that can be enjoyed uh, across the world, mostly in the Philippines, by the way. Why, why do you say that? I don't know. I've never been to the Philippines. Why are, is that super popular there? So, like, per capita, they consume the most gin in the world. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting Sp- fact. I, I think of uh, Spain as being a big gin and tonic place. If you go to a tapas restaurant in the U.S., usually get gin and tonics, fancy gin and tonics with the giant ice cube and a wine glass. Yeah. Um, I had a chance to go to Spain on vacation for the first time in July, and there were lots of gin and tonics. There are Spanish tonics. That's a different frontier. Like there's this whole right. global range of uh, gins from different countries. It's it's pretty amazing, and it's a bit in it's a bit in fashion right now. For a while, vodkas like niche vodkas were in fashion, and I think there's just a resurgence. You know, gins getting some props now again in um, in England and in Europe where there's gin bars, uh, going back to the days where gin bars used to be everywhere in London yeah. while they're back. You know, it's a little bit yeah. hipster maybe, which isn't my thing, but. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, um, I am drinking a Mediterranean gin and tonic actually. So what makes that a Mediterranean gin and tonic? The gin or the tonic or both? I think it's, um, well, it has Hendrix, which currently is my favorite gin. And you add a Mediterranean um, Indian fever tonic water. Ah, yeah. Yes, with um, a little bit of lemon simple syrup, a slice of lemon, slice of lime, and um, peppercorns. Yeah, I've so that that reminds me of like some of these fancy Spanish tapas place gin and tonics that have the uh, peppercorns and little little uh, herbs or whatever floating. Yeah. Exactly. In the drink. And I think of gin and tonics as being um, a really simple drink. Like I made mine with two ounces of gin, four ounces of tonic water. I didn't add a lime. Um, I'm drinking what I made mine with is a Florida gin from Petersburg. It's called Old St. Pete Tropical Gin. So it it says it's made with botanicals and it also uses peels from oranges, lemons, and grapefruits. Well, aren't you fancy? From right here. So I'm kind of drinking local, but I do get fussy about um, the tonic water. Does this make it fussy lean shot instead of chummy? (laughs) Maybe, maybe that, that, that could be, well, you know, there's something to be said about having good tonic water Mm -hmm. because what tonic water is two thirds of the drink. And if your tonic water is crappy, and you might as well just not have a gin and tonic. Yeah. So I don't like the super sweet um, tonic water. So the one I'm having is also Fever Tree. And as we joke in other episodes, like not a sponsor, but we just mentioned Fever Tree because we <laughs> like it. Yeah. I'm drinking the one I've had the Mediterranean. And this one is just called the um, Refreshingly Light tonic water because it, you know, as it says here on their website, it's 57% fewer calories than other tonic waters. I think a whole bottle is only 30 calories. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it, so you're like, 
You're like burning calories drinking that. <laughs> yeah, the effort to make the drink. Net gain. Nice. Yeah. Um, but I, I forget, did you mention what gin you use? Yeah, Hendrix. Mm. That's right. You did. That's yeah. that's me having short-term Sunday memory, not because of uh the gin. But yeah, Hendrix has um a interesting cucumber. Yes. So the traditional Hendrix gin and tonic, they made a name for themselves by throwing a cucumber in there instead of um, lime or lemon. Mm -hmm. And um, interestingly enough, where my husband's from, Finland, they make gin. And I think in 2016, somewhere around there, they won the best gin and tonic in the world. And they put lingonberries in their gin and tonic. Yes, quite this. That, that's quite Finnish, right? Yes, that is quite Finnish. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had gins. Uh, there's a Japanese gin that I've had, um, American gins, Dutch gin, um, Spanish gin. There, one, one I really like uh, is actually from Scotland called The Botanist. Oh, I've had that, yeah. So um, for being a simple drink of just a couple ingredients, um, boy, there, there is a variety. Absolutely. And I think that's quite pleasant. It's a refreshing drink on a warm Florida Florida. afternoon. That's right. When you're in Florida and it is hot out, there is nothing like a a nice refreshing drink. So cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers. So, all right. So I guess we we do need to make this chummy lean chat, not just chummy gin chat. So we're going to talk about a couple news articles and a few other things here today. Um, So the first article, and and maybe this will serve um, as a listener question, because it's really a question that we're going to react to and talk about. I don't know if Michael Ballet has listened to any of these episodes, but he does uh, a column, a blog, I guess, on the Lean Enterprise Institute website um, called The Gemba Coach. And so one of his most recent articles or poses a question, isn't PDCA enough, plan, do, check, act, or plan, do, check, adjust? Isn't PDCA enough? Why do we always need to complicate things? I'm like, well, it's kind of a combative question. I'm not sure. And he isn't really explaining the article. I'm not sure what he meant by complicate things. I don't know. Crystal, have you seen... Like, I mean, what would you, I get, we're just guessing here, but have you seen? Yeah, I mean, when I read the article, I think he he kind of used his blog as the example um, for PDCA. But what where I think, I think maybe he was going was talking about, um, or what I think he's trying to say is, why can't we just try something, i.e. experiment or PDSA versus anchoring a problem, anchoring problem solving in a true north or a kind of target condition that we're um, striving for. Right. And um, I think that's what he was trying to say, um, although he may have just made PDCA overcomplicated in the blog because PDCA is... PDCA is PDCA, right? There's, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I, for me, I don't really think it's complicated, but I think a lot of things in life, not just lean, come back to intent. And mm-hmm. I think if you always come back to what is the intent in what you're doing and kind of focus on that, the answer of what to do next kind of becomes clear. 
uh, you know, that gut yeah. check, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, you know, how do you know when an A3 is done? Or how do you know when you're done with PDSA? And I was like, and I usually say, well, I don't know, good gut check usually tells me, you know, go back to the intent. What are you trying to achieve? Or what are you trying to do? And if there isn't an intent, maybe think about should there be? And if not, then yeah. who cares? Do whatever you want to do. Yeah, because I, I agree with you, um, whether we say PDCA, or I, I tend to I prefer PDSA, Plan, Do, Study, Adjust. Um, I, I've sometimes proposed maybe it should really be PTSA, Plan, Test, Study, Adjust, which I think is kind of more of the intent of it, not to overcomplicate things. But I think small Kaizen, A3s, Toyota Kata, Rapid Improvement Events, Strategy Deployment, those are all different manifestations of the PDSA cycle. Yeah. We're doing it well. Right. And I think, again, it all comes back to call it true north if you want. But I think it, everything in lean or life comes back to what are you, what is your intent? What are you, what are you trying to do or trying to achieve? And if there is no intent, okay, should there be? I don't know. And good question. You know, the, the scenario Michael sketched out in his blog post was an example where a test of change might be difficult or risky because he, he was posing, it almost sounds like a solution searching for a problem. Um, putting, <laughs> oh, putting the, always a bad thing. <laughs> um, putting, sorry, Michael, if you're listening, but, but you know, the, the thing he was kind of thinking through as he wrote this was putting his blog or uh, behind a paywall. And I don't know if there is pressure at LEI to come up with new revenue streams and, Maybe people would subscribe to read these blogs the way people subscribe to Apple News Plus or Netflix or something. But I think part of what he was saying is that um, that that might, I mean, I guess you could experiment with it. And if people, if nobody subscribes, I guess you could throw your hands up and say, well, we planned, we did, we studied and adjusted. Maybe you could survey people before going and testing that. There's always that balance, right, of like how much planning or voice of the customer do you get before you just go try something? Right. Yeah. You're, you know, now the more I think about that article, the more I am confused about what he was trying to say, because it kind of meandered through a couple of different topics, but it could just be that it was Sunday. Sorry. Was, sorry, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It could just be that it was Sunday and I was by the pool and um, <laughs> I was maybe distracted while I was reading it, which doesn't help. But that's a good point. You know, to me, I guess the same, it it comes back to what's the intent in putting the blog behind the paywall? What are you trying to achieve? I guess the only thing you really, I guess what you're achieving with that is revenue, right? I mean, Right. I guess if that, but that seems like that would be a different intent than what you started the blog for in the beginning. Yeah. And, and, he, and Michael wrote about that, you know, talking about, you know, trying to share ideas, trying to help reinvigorate people, trying to help convert people over to, to lean, uh, if you right. will. But, you know, I think he raised a good point. You know, he asked, you know, talking about goals, should the goal be increased readership? And then I would say, well, you know, the number of readers, I mean, that's certainly measurable, but Eric Reese and the lean startup movement might call that a vanity metric. And, and, you know, Michael said, well, you know, there, there's all kinds of things you could do uh, to, to, you know, to boost readership that might not help accomplish other goals. You know, he could have 
clickbait headlines or just write things that are provocative, or, you know, provocative instead, yeah. I almost said provocative. provocative. That, well, it's Chevy Lean Chat. You can say whatever you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, doing, doing um, I, I mean, I, I want to hear what you think from your work. I think there's a balance where true north and being uh, aligned to organizational goals is important. But I think sometimes you've got to just let people fix what bugs them and do so in a PDSA way. So that's kind of reactive. But there's also yeah. a time to be more intentional or planful. Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of drawing to like a very basic impact effort matrix. Mm. You know, like what's the impact? What's the effort of what you want to experiment with? And like you, you know, I think there is a a, a, um, a consideration of risk in any experiment that you want to do. You know, if there is big risk, then you probably it's probably not a worthwhile experiment. You know, it's probably more around well, let's anchor it and intend and maybe do some A three thinking and, and robust problem solving behind it. Yeah. But if we're talking about something that's fairly easy and quick and we just want to see an improvement, I think just documenting an anticipated outcome, like what do we expect to see by testing this and then right. test it out? And I think that's good enough because the intent maybe is then just what you expect to see. Yeah. And what, what are we trying to accomplish? What do you expect to see? I mean, I think one other way this might have been the question had been might have been about in terms of complicating things. Uh, you know, there, there's a Toyotaism. Um, I forget who said it, but I, I, it was on a display in a museum, Toyota Museum, or on a website or something, where some Toyota executive said basically, like, "All that we're doing is practicing PDSA more often and more rigorously than our competitors." I'm paraphrasing. But that was really kind of the gist of it. And like people look at the Toyota production system and lean and we see all these different techniques and tactics and other mindsets. And sometimes people say or clients say, we want to implement such and such. And like, well, where's the A3 and the thinking that shows like, where did you lead to that countermeasure? Right. Well, yeah. And I think if you really go back to the, the core of Toyota, lean, the birth of lean and TPS was to solve a problem. And that problem was kind of like they sucked at manufacturing, for lack of a better word, when they first started. When they first started making cars, they were horrible. Yeah. You know, like, they, didn't, they didn't have a huge market in Japan. So they had no, there was a shrinking market. They were horrible at it. There was a lot of quality flaws, a lot of defects. They used to make looms. You know, the, the second generation of the family started making cars. And in order to survive, they had to do something just drastically different, thus the birth of the eight waste and, and it began the whole production system. But that was all the countermeasure to a problem, true north intent. Mm -hmm call it that they needed to solve in order to survive as a corporation and, and because yeah. it became such a part of their nature it just continued to evolve which is what I think lean and healthcare what I think we're trying to do or trying to strive for but yeah I don't know if we've successfully gotten there yet at any organization yeah, and, and I wonder, I've I, I said this you know, thought experiment that I haven't been able to, I, this is something we could try out in the real world. But again, a lot of times people get um, anchored in, we want to implement such and such. And you try to politely push back, like there's this balance, a consultant has to try to constructively challenge people um, and, and try to um, 
push thinking and what you think is a positive direction. But I'm always curious what would happen if you started with an organization and really just started with a high level strategic A3 about the health system and performance and what are you trying to accomplish and what are some of the gaps and what are some of the causes and really looking at lean practices as a countermeasure to help. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely the ideal of where, where maybe it would start. I, though a more difficult feat to accomplish in, in my opinion, having worked with some executives and trying to even talk about complicated. Let's talk about complicated <laughs> healthcare strategy. You know, uh, what are we trying to do? Very, you know, um, in in my organization, I think you were here for this when we talked about, you know, what do we need to do? What's what matters most was the 485 things or projects on our list that we need our leadership team to do. Mm -hmm. so talk about overcomplicated and maybe not being able right. to focus in an ever changing environment. You know. Um, Yes, I think a simple PDSA at the strategic level would be very helpful, but getting there and getting that mindset and buy-in um, may be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, well, and I remember some of those conversations around, and, and there were PDSA cycles of, of people reflecting on, uh, last year we had 485 top priority, you know, high priority, top priority projects. If 485 things are top priority, is anything really top priority? And people reflected on that. And you know, I'll give I'll give leaders in your organization credit for saying, well, maybe. And and Karen Martin, I'll give Karen credit um, for helping lead this um, as an outside consultant who I was working with um, of saying, well, what if we pick just 30 or just 20 or whatever the number is, and let's focus and 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 having that conversation about what really are the highest impact, most important initiatives. Yeah, as sticky and as muddy as, as it is to trudge through that, um, I think there was a lasting impression. Um, and again, kudos to the, to the leaders of the organization who were willing to even consider and maybe wade through what that might look like. But that's, I think, what it takes is at least that openness and willingness to, um, to change, you know, which is yeah. inherent in any plan, do, change, study cycle. Yeah. Plan, do, check, adjust. Not just plan, do, and not just do, do, but. Yeah. 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 I was uh, attempting to make even a new PDSA or PDCA plan, do, I, change. Why do we always need to complicate things? <laughs> well, you know, I'm a girl, so, you know, we definitely complicate things inherently and gin maybe just helps with that. <laughs> Helps complicate it or help uncomplicate it? Well, I don't know. It could probably do both. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. am not going to, I'm going to just leave it at that. I am not going to get oh. drawn into that conversation. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Moving um, on. So we will, so if, uh, if people want to go to the show notes for the episode, we'll link um, to that piece that Michael Ballet wrote. Um, on the uh, lean.org, isn't PDCA enough? Why do we always need to complicate things? And, and maybe that's a theme that continues into, we're going to move into a segment that we've done in some other episodes. Um, I guess we call this lean pet peeves. And sometimes we talk about things that are like, to me, a pet peeve is kind of trivial where I think something, I think the, the things we're going to talk about here are more weighty issues than, than being a pet peeve. 
Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go first because I think it kind of fits the flow of what we're talking about before, um, before you propose yours, Crystal. But, you know, I, I've seen, you know, so we talk about PDCA. Maybe, you know, good A3s hopefully have that discipline around a PDCA process. And, you know, I've, I've had a chance, um, you know, to visit organizations where sometimes when you look at the A3s, you see, you know, um, Sounds this, this becomes judgy lean chat instead of chummy lean chat. But like, what might be like a poor root cause analysis where there's maybe just one why instead of digging deeper, and in our rush to come up with countermeasures to go and test, or you know sometimes I mean, you'll see five kind of five random whys that all answer the question about the gap in a way that doesn't continue to drill down deeper um, towards some sort of root cause. So I apologize for the judgy. I think it's one of those things that you have, you know, hopefully people are open to coaching to ask questions around how do you know when you've dug deep enough? How do you know if you've gotten beyond a superficial symptom and, and down to a root cause? So part of me is like, well, that's growing pains. And, and that's part of, the progression of practicing lean. I, I think the problem is if someone isn't getting coached and they, they just continue kind of repeating that same practice instead of getting better at it over time. Right. You know, or having an A3 that um, back, uh, a countermeasure where you back into a problem. And then oh, right. it's just kind of like, you know, all over the place. I think that's very, very, um, common and mm-hmm. at least in the world that I see and it's hard to get people to disconnect from that and truly dig deeper and you know one of the things I like to one of the analogies I like to use along that is you know with simple firefighting right are you fighting the fire or are you preventing the next fire from happening and that seems to resonate with people you know so maybe asking that question it would cause analysis and say like is this firefighting Root cause, or did you get to the cause of the fire so we can prevent it next time? Yeah, yeah, and and that makes me think of um, a cartoon that one of your colleagues Carrie helped me with, where um, the uh, people want to search for a blog post. I, I put we we posted this cartoon on Lean Blog. There's a time and a place to fight fires. So reading a cartoon out loud is probably the worst thing to do on a podcast, other than coughing and choking on gin. But we're gonna do it anyways. Oh yeah, okay. Crystal's encouraging. Crystal's encouraging. No, oh, I thought you were encouraging me. But in in the cartoon, you see a firefighter at the truck who's saying to another one, "Hey, help me get this hose started." And the other firefighter's holding an A three that says, and he says, "Don't jump to solutions." And the fire's literally burning. And he's like, the other firefighter says, "Oh, right. We're supposed to get to consensus on the plan phase first. And like there, there's a time to be reactive and there's a time to step back and, and be right. more, uh, more systematic, but yes, lean gone wrong, lean gone wrong. But Hey, I'll, 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 I'll volunteer since I felt like I was being judgy. I had an opportunity to take an A3 problem solving class with John Shook who, you know, John literally wrote one of the books on A3 thinking, managing to learn. And we were doing an exercise in class and John politely pointed out or asked or brought it up in a way that I had basically written my problem statement in a way that was jumping to a solution. So that was 
That's my embarrassing lean moment. Oh, really? That I will share. Yeah. That's embarrassing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. But it was a good learning moment that helped me guard against doing that again. Well, you know, even as a lean practitioner, we all learn. And, you know, this kind of um, this kind of relates also to one of the things that I think goes um, towards uh, back towards your article, right, about complicating things and maybe even about chummy lean chat is, you know, it's a team sport. And um, I think there's some level of importance in having conversations with other people to get a reality check, to get context and to learn, because mm -hmm. otherwise you're just having a conversation in your head. And that just means you're crazy. And then you, you put a pro, you put a solution on your problem statement in an A3 and you don't even realize it. So, you know, lean is a team sport. You can't do it by yourself. And um, so I think that's one of the things that uh, I think is really, really important. So uh, you're, you're playing with John. You're on the same team. I was testing him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you were having some chummy lean chat over an E3. It was a chummy course. Yeah. It's a, so um, you've got a pet peeve that's a little bit more important than a pet peeve, if you want to share it. Yeah. So <laughs> this kind of goes to the news article, if we get to it, that I wanted to talk a little bit about. No, but we will. We will. No, we will. Well, so, um, you wanna, yeah, so go ahead. If you, I'll let you do the segue then. Talk about your pet peeve. And if you want to okay. move into the news. Yes. So one of my pet peeves is wasting time in proving that which should not exist. Mm. Um, so, you know, really... This kind of goes back to one of the things that I always think about in terms of truly understanding value to the customer and anchoring everything you do and, and what the, what is making the customer's life better, easier, um, more fulfilling, you know, if you want to get a little philosophical. But um, truly, um, it is so annoying to me when we're talking about, you know, or surmising or hypothesizing inaccurately what we think mm. the customer would value ah. without looking deeply and understanding, not just asking the customer, but truly understanding from a deep life, you know, standpoint, how would you make the customer's life better? So segueing into talking about making the customer's life better, mm -hmm. the article that I would like to discuss is titled, Robotic Tales for Humans was inspired by seahorses, posted on CNN. This isn't from The Onion. This is this is CNN. CNN, <laughs> and I was quite intrigued by that headline. Yeah, so am so I. I. I had to click and I had to read, <laughs> uh. and apparently um, there is a. Um, I believe this is from Japan, and mm -hmm. they. Um, they had a question they were interested in asking and answering. And that question was, how can we empower the human body with wearable technologies? And through answering that question, apparently, they came up with a robotic tail. Now, is, is that, that sounds like a solution looking for a problem, is it? <laughs> it sounds like you're wasting time improving that which should not exist or answering a question that which should not be answered. 
either one of those, you know, pick yeah. your, and, but maybe, maybe I'm just a girl in the world with, with in her box that isn't seeing past what could be. But when you look, please click on the article and take a look at the seahorse tail and just tell me if that's anything anybody in their right mind would even consider for like, they're, they're hypothesizing that this will help people with balance issues. And I can't help but think about my 89-year-old grandfather with balance issues that I couldn't even imagine putting a tail on him to help him walk. <laughs> well, whether the solution works or not, and whether the solution is accepted in the market, those are two different things. <laughs> That's another lean startup conundrum, right? Oh you my gosh. But I think it, well, so this goes to, I guess, you know, how rigid do you want to be in? Or how open-minded are you? Or, you know, we could kind of take this in a lot of different ways. But to me, this seems like pure over-processing and value misalignment, like 100%. And then it's very intriguing to me that CNN reported on it. Maybe for this exact reason, because it's thought-provoking. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, so I went actually, I clicked through and read the article. I thought, well, okay, it actually does look like it's intended to solve, intended to solve a problem. Aging population in Japan, if people, uh, if their balance is getting worse and they're gonna fall, the tail seems like, because you know, it said if you lean left, the tail will then automatically lean right and help balance you, crystals holding her forehead and laughing. I don't know if that, okay, now it's coming through in the audio. Um, I mean, so part of me is like, well, if we really needed a tail, wouldn't we have not lost our tail through evolution? You're more. Right. And the fact that the, I love that this came from seahorses. I mean, have you ever seen a seahorse? The tail looks nothing like a seahorse tail, but maybe it's like in how it's designed or something. Or yeah, because I mean, monkeys have some monkeys have tails, and humans have a tail bone. Right. Uh, so oh, yes. True. But so I don't know, you know, I'm not an expert in evolution, but it seemed like, you know, like the tail, the tail evolved away back when we had much shorter lifespans. And now that life expectancy has really grown exponentially, um, oh, we wish we had that tail. <laughs> I really want that tail. I wish I had the tail. It just makes me laugh because then I think like, how do you sit? Like if you're just walking around, like you got your balance and you're going to tail off and put it next to your chair. Just I mean, you just have to sit in open back chairs. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Well, I don't know. But to me, there's just like, you know, it, it definitely me. It definitely hits on my pet peeve, you know, or, um, you know, there's a, a philosopher that said it is not every question that deserves an answer. Mm. So, um, <laughs> Anyways, such is, is life. <laughs> now it's philosophical lean chat. <laughs> Can we get back to chummy? <laughs> chummy, it, it's quite an umbrella that uh, chummy encompasses. Yeah. Lots yeah. of things. Now, I mean, you know, you kind of bring it back to a workplace, though, when you talk about needs of the customer and in healthcare, this gets complicated. What are philosophical? What do patients really want? I've heard Don Berwick from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement get really philosophical about, we're like, well, does the patient want their knee fixed or do they want a lack of pain or they, do they want a better quality of life? Like some of that gets kind of esoteric and hard to define yeah. and difficult to measure, right? 
Yeah, and I think there's, again, there's that gut check, a, a point of diminishing returns or a point of like, you can't even do anything about it. So there's that balance in terms of, of that. But I always think back, you know, there's this really impactful story that I wrote that I read someplace, probably on the Gemba Coaches blog about um, how Toyota improved their Sienna uh, minivan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that the executive um, that was bringing the or improving the minivan for the for the American market did was he rented a Toyota, he flew to America, rented a Toyota Sienna, and just for a month, drove around in this car and observed people and families in minivans to understand what could make their life easier and better because yeah. in Japan there are a lot of differences and to me that's that's kind of the extent that I that I'm speaking about in terms of practicality and and really focusing on what's better for the customers just really observe and understand what would make your life or the patient's life easier more fulfilling allow them to spend more time with their family and loved ones you know, just kind of answering those questions instead of you yeah. know, just asking, hey, patient, what do you value? You know? Yeah. Well, and I think one of the other complications in healthcare, I mean, I think this is true in other industries too. Not all car buyers are the same. So car buyers get segmented in different ways. In healthcare, we, you know, we often talk about the voice of the, the customer or the voice of the patient. It's more like the voices of the patients where different patients have different needs. Like me, I value efficiency. Like if I'm going to a clinic, I want um, efficiency. And, and, and there are other patients who may value, um, you know, chit chat and, and, and they, they have Tell me healthcare chat with your doctor chat. Yeah. It might be more social where me, me, um, um, you know, so if you design a pro, if, if you were to only listen to me and we were to design a process that would be super efficient to others, it might end up seeing seeming kind of cold or, you know, it might not meet other customer needs. And, I, and that's where you know, I think, it's important to get the voices of many different customers to figure out what do they value and and what are we trying to accomplish? Yeah. Yeah. And I think also understanding, you know, with this, this kind of gets to all service industry in which maybe lean becomes a little bit intangible and a little bit difficult for people to understand and apply, but in basically understanding, you know, who purchases your services and who are these people understand them and, and how they live and interact their life. And, you know, there's probably a bucket of them. So focus on the 80, 20 rule or, you know, pick a segment and try to improve the experience for that segment and then, you know, work in little bits and pieces that way. Yeah. Yeah. So um, cool. So we'll post a link to that article as well. Uh, Robotic tales for humans. Exciting. We'll talk about all kinds of things here on Lean Whiskey or Lean. That's right. Robotic <laughs> tales coming to Best Buy near you soon. <laughs> um, so uh, maybe, and so one other question we're going to talk about before uh, we wrap up here, and I'll, I'll try to ask this question to other guests, and I will quickly run out of funny stories maybe. Um, we'll let you go first here. What's the funniest thing that's happened to you in the course of trying to do process improvement work? So... It's this. This is kind of it's funny, but I, it doesn't really 
I don't know if it's really that funny, but um, when we get teams together for process improvement, whether it's a rapid improvement event, Kaizen event, or um, you know, a full day or a long meeting, where we're really digging through some stuff. Um, we like to set some ground rules um, just so everybody's kind of on, on the same page as to expectations. We can hold ourselves accountable and me who's usually facilitating the meeting doesn't look like a jerk. So um, we set some ground rules and one of the ground rules is usually um, start on time, end on time, because we are we are kind of plagued with um, being late. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's just kind of common. Everybody's busy. There's a lot going on. So there's an additional rule we add to that um, start on time, end on time. And that is if you are late, you shall sing. And um, and I like to hold people accountable to this um, rule, because if if we don't hold people to accountable with this, then they think it's OK to be late. And it's not. It's disrespectful. And it's part of our ground rules. So what that usually means is I end up singing with them, whatever song gets chosen. So I've sung Hit Me Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. I've sung Dashing Through the Snow. I've sung, you know, Aladdin's A Whole New World. I mean, you name it, I'll sing. And the the funny part about me is I really don't care about singing and I'm really horrible. So, <laughs> so I, won't, I won't ask you to sing. <laughs> so I will sing loud and I'll usually throw some dance moves in there. And, um, you know, just to kind of get that other person to realize like, it's not so bad. Cause let's not I do sing. this again. Yeah. Let's not do this again. <laughs> and it kind of sets the stage for everybody else because they know if they're late, I'm going to sing with them and I'm not going to let it slide. So that's um, my embarrassing improvement moments. So in the spirit of PDSA, you plan, you implement this punishment, which sounds like chummy lean hazing. <laughs> so <laughs> how do you, how do you, about, have you, have you, had, so if you were to study and adjust, do you find that this reduces lateness or? Do you <laughs> uh, usually people are not late or if they're late, they embrace it. And they will pick something to sing and they will sing it. Like, you know, I do, I do have some evidence of our CEO singing mm. some songs because <laughs> he was late. Lean on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he, it was during Christmas. He sang a Christmas oh. song. Okay. That's uh, a good one. I'm going to yeah. use that next time. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so now you're making me question, like, I don't know if my story is very funny either, but I guess we'll just have to plan, do, study, adjust through it. Um, so I was in a hospital, this is probably about, this is over a little over 10 years ago. And I was with, uh, we were doing some process observation and I was going around and we were kind of paired up and I was helping teach nurses how to do the process observation in, in sort of a structured way. And so it was me and a nurse shadowing another nurse. And then we were trading off. And then at some point, you know, I get out of the way and let them learn about their, their process. And this is an inpatient unit. And so as we're going through, like one thing I always try to be really careful about is not intruding on the patient experience or, or anything that would involve confidentiality or privacy. 
Um, but there, there's a time and a place where it helps to go in the room. But what the nurse would do would always ask the patient real quickly is sort of like, we've got somebody sort of shadowing and following it. Is, is it okay if they come into the room? And um, so I came in and the nurse had, you know, sort of given her explanation. We're trying to make things better here. And we have this consultant here and the patient, she must've been in her eighties and, and, you know, she may have been in the workplace. She may have been a Rosie the Riveter during World War II. And she said it was okay. So then I come in and she looks at me and she smiles and she says, I know what you are. You're the time study man. And you said, yes, yes, I, I am. Said, well, sort well, but yeah, I mean, it's like, wow, that's a really, that's kind of a really dated term. <laughs> But, um, you know, because I, mean, I think there's that old school time study of like, you know, we're going to sort, you know, tell other people how to improve their jobs. And that's not what we were doing. So I was a little right. bit taken aback. I'm like, well, this is different. This is lean. It's but I'm like, different. yeah. It looks the same, but it's different. <laughs> I have a clipboard. Don't judge me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the joke about us industrial engineers. Stop watching a clipboard. That's right. It. Right. Yes. That's what we. Oh yeah. Uh, that's what we get upon graduation. <laughs> right here you go. This is all that you'll need for the rest of your life. This is <laughs> well, I joke to um, to be a lean practitioner or to coach others in lean. Um, all you really need is a kindergarten education. You know, you cut stuff out. You know, we we paste stuff on on walls. You know, we use a lot of sticky notes. If people are late, you make them go sit in the corner. That's right. You know, there's Doug's hats, but it's singing instead. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you just need a kindergarten education. That's it. <laughs> I'm glad you're putting that pharmacy degree to good work, Crystal. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I'm going back to get my MBA and I'm taking statistics class. And uh, it's quite funny. Talk about overcomplicating things. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm in this class and they're just talking about stuff and deliver. I'm like, I don't know how any of these kids coming out of high school are going to pass this test or any of it because it's like German and it really doesn't need to be. It's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. Overcomplicated. That happens sometimes in statistical practices and sometimes that overcomplicates our improvement efforts. Yeah. I would say so, or yeah. overcomplicates your ability to pass your prerequisites to get an MBA. <laughs> In my case, no, I got a 90 on my last test. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when you finish the MBA, we'll ask you the difficult question of, did, have you learned more about organizations and business through your lean practice, or did you learn more through the MBA? Mm, fair enough. Challenge taken. I'll see you in three years <laughs> when I'm done. And I, I and I'm going to think about that same thing since I have an MBA as well. So I don't mean to pick on MBAs. Oh well, we can discuss that at our next chummy lean chat or some chummy MBA chat. That's right. Excellent. Or we should call it chummy MBA networking because that sounds more MBA ish. That's right. That's right. So thank thank you for networking with me on today's podcast. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine, Mark Raven. <laughs> So, um, so I think we've, I think we've, I don't know, what, what was your hypothesis about chummy lean chat here today? Was it, was it chummy? Was it fun? Yeah. 
Oh yeah. I mean, if, if there's libations and good friends, <laughs> I mean, how can you go wrong? Cause we should robotic we do, tales, you know, I could overcomplicate podcasts by forcing us to do an a three for each episode. Why? My gut <laughs> che- it doesn't pass the gut check. <laughs> well, let me take off my tail. <laughs> my, put my robotic tail between my legs. and <laughs> Take off your tail. Uh, oh. oh yeah put the tail aside yeah so um i do i should go buy the domain name chummyleanchat.com yeah is it available get it are we gonna get in a bidding war crystal mm. i shouldn't have said no. that out, i shouldn't have said that out loud no you can have you can buy it <laughs> i'm gonna go to godaddy.com also not a sponsor right yeah, yeah. uh but the pod the uh the you the real URL for uh, this this podcast, if uh, you want to listen more, is leanwhiskey.com. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, you can spell whiskey K E Y as they do in some parts of the world, or you can spell whiskey uh, S K Y. Either way works. So we have. I'm trying to listen to the voice of different customers who may spell it one way or another. You can also go to leanblog.org/leanwhiskey. You can also go to Jamie Flinchbaugh's website, jflinch.com slash lean whiskey. See, Jamie, Jamie leaned out his website name. It used to be jamieflinchbaugh.com, but he eliminated a bunch of letters. How was that? Ooh, yeah, nice. I like how you use like the double entendre. He leaned out his name. <laughs> it's good. That's the gin. That's the gin talking. That's the gin. The St. Pete gin. Jflinch.com slash lean whiskey. Um, but we, we'd encourage you to, if you haven't already, please look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. There's probably other places you can find the podcast. And what else do we like people, do we ask people to do, Crystal? Yeah, we ask um, all of you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. Ratings really do help other people find this glorious podcast of Chummy Lean Chat. <laughs> and uh, we thank you all for listening. Yeah. And I want to thank Crystal Totterman for uh, taking time out of a Sunday afternoon to have some chummy lean whiskey chat. See, I combined that now. Yeah. Except it was, it was gin chat today. Gin chat. Yes. Yeah. So thanks a lot. This was fun and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.